Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Such a joy to study Psalm 7D with you this morning. We often live life um, and we view it more as uh, a playground. So if you think of your life as a child, you know, you looked forward to the weekend when maybe dad was home and you could go to a park and play. But as we read scripture, life looks a lot more like a battlefield than a playground. And that's what we have in Psalm 70 is David crying out for help in the battlefield. And he uses Psalm 70 to remind him of his battle cry in the Lord. So his enemies are there, and they're crying out, Aha! Aha! I have you! You're done! And David, in verse 4, cries out to the Lord with his battle cry, Let God be magnified. And so as he runs off into battle... He calls upon God to receive all the glory and that everything he does to be for the Lord. In the midst of, as we saw, as we read through it in verses 1 and 5, his great need and help for the Lord to deliver him. When I was a child, uh, like most boys, I would expect, I was fascinated with war. I loved to play you know, battle with Nerf guns and BB guns and, you know, have all these heroic visions of, um, you know, excellent performance on the battlefield. And so as a result of that, I really liked the 1941 film Sergeant York. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, if you ever saw that old film. Uh, As a child, that was so exciting to me to see this war hero go out and you know, take the battlefield to, to win and uh, provide victory for the American troops there in World War I. And then somewhat recently, I came across uh, one of his books where it actually recorded his account of that, and it was just really fun to read through one of my childhood heroes and hear his account of the battle. And so if you're not aware of what he did, there was a battle where, uh, I'm going to abbreviate it, uh, Lots of American troops were heading out against the Germans, and they were receiving fire, and so him and some guys were trying to work around the hill and come up behind and take out the enemy troops. So instead of surprising the Germans, uh, the Germans spotted them while they were in the open field, and they had no cover, and so uh, York and all of his troop hit the ground, and uh, many of his fellow soldiers didn't make it through that. And the story is, is that pretty much single-handedly, he took out a couple dozen German uh, soldiers, and then they were so confounded that they surrendered. And so York and like a couple other guys captured 132 German soldiers and marched them back to their base. And it's funny how it went. He was reporting to Brigadier General Julian Robert Lindsay. And this man said to York, well, York, I hear you have captured the whole German army. And York replied, no, sir, I got only 132. 
So you can see some of the humor there. And as a, as a young man, that's so amazing to see someone valiant and uh, honorable on the battlefield and taking victory for their side. And so he received uh, the Medal of Honor for that and several other awards as well. But I wonder if our lives look a little different. He, he experienced that one time on the battlefield, but oftentimes in our lives, our lives don't look like we deserve the Medal of Honor. Our lives look like David, where we're trapped, we have a sword at our throat, and we say, God, help me now. I need help right now, or I'm going to die. And so we, we love the, you know, those amazing accounts of heroism and things like that, but our lives are a battle, and we're often facing defeat at every turn. And I wonder how many of you this week came to a point where you said, God, I don't know if I can make it through this. I don't know if I can do this. I need your help now. This is too much for me. And if you don't come and help me, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to make it. And so this psalm where we see David cry out to the Lord in remembrance is a reminder to us of what we should do when we're in trouble and we need help. So like David, when we're losing the battle, we need to seek the help of the Lord. We need to cry out for help and remember that we're in a battle and that we need him all the time. And so as we just sang, we want to be in the Lord's army. We want to be a soldier for Christ, a soldier of the cross. We want to lift our souls to the Lord and bow our wills before him and say, yes, sir, what do you have for me? Um, and treat him almost like a general that we've been called into his army. And it's easy in life to forget that we're in a battle. We often like to, to battle things. We're, uh, no one trains us when we're little to fight, but we're really good at it from birth. Okay, maybe you can think back to maybe your siblings or your parents. Uh, it's really easy to fight with siblings. <laughs> it doesn't take much to rally up the energy within you to fight for that last bowl of cereal. Uh, you know, sitting in the front seat next to dad. Uh, whatever it might have been, we are fighters. But the problem is we often fight for the wrong things. And so as we look through this text, we're going to answer some of these questions um, about how we battle and how we can seek the help of the Lord in battle. So Psalm 70, uh, it may be familiar to some of you. It's a repetition of the last few verses of Psalm 40. And so David wrote Psalm 40 as well. And so for whatever reason, he uh, took off these last five verses and made them their own psalm, uh, which is where we read Psalm 70 today. And the psalm is familiar to a lot of psalms where uniquely to David as the anointed king of God's chosen people, Israel, he's calling on the Lord to help him in Israel, and he's calling on the Lord to judge their enemies. So we're a little bit different today. Our lives don't function on that level. So the Israelites, if they did not follow God, if they did not trust him and obey him, they received curses. But if they trusted him and obeyed him, then their nation was blessed. We do not function that way today. We have the full blessing of God in Christ Jesus. We can't obey more. We can't do more good. We can't do anything to earn more blessing than what we already have through Jesus. We have the full blessing of God. 
And so as we fight our battles, we fight a war that's been won. And what we're doing is we're giving up ground to the enemy. Jesus has won the battle, and we're surrendering when we sin. We're surrendering when we fear. We're surrendering uh, when, we, when we give things up that Jesus has already conquered the victory over. And so our battle is actually really easy. We just need to look to Christ. So as we look through this psalm, it doesn't directly apply to us because we're not the nation of Israel, but we can see how trusting in Christ and his uh, victory over our enemies can help us in the battle that we do face today. So as we look at these first few verses, we'll see that we need to request for the Lord to fight our enemies. And like I just said, uh, Christ has already won the victory over all these things. And so that's why it's so helpful, uh, the prescript where he says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. So this is a psalm that David set aside as he's in battle, and this is the psalm that he would quote or the people would quote to remind them that the victory is the Lord's and that they need his help, that they can't do it on their own, and they must call to God to fight the battle for them. And so we see in verse 1, he he cries out to God and he says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. And so David's circumstances are bad. He's in grave danger. You can imagine uh, in a military setting, he's being chased by his enemies and he's about to be killed. He's about to be defeated. And him as the anointed king of Israel is about to be shamed in defeat in battle. And so he calls upon God and says, come and help me. Come and fulfill your promises to me as king of Israel to bless me in battle and to win this for me. He's, he's calling for divine military assistance. So he's fighting and he's losing and he first asks God to deliver him. And so he wants God to separate him from danger. He wants to be immediately removed from the danger that is at hand. And then he goes on to cry out, make haste. And so it's an imminent danger. It's not something that's far off. It's something that's close, something that he needs deliverance from quickly. And then again, he cries out for the Lord to help him. And he he calls on the Lord, oh Lord. And so you can see the urgency within this psalm that David's feeling as he's up against a wall and needs God's help immediately. And so now in verse 2, now that we see that he's, he's in trouble and he needs God's help, he turns to his enemies. And we don't know who his enemies are. He just calls them them, uh, the ones who are pursuing him. And so it would have been applicable to lots of situations. But what does he call for God to do to them? He says, let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. So he doesn't, we saw in verse 1, he wants to be delivered and he wants help. But he doesn't just want to be removed. He wants God's name to be cleared from the record. So he wants the enemy to be squished. He wants their shame to be brought on. And not just that they would be embarrassed, but that as a direct loss of battle against God's chosen people by God's hand, God would shame them. And so in a, in a military context, what a victor would do is after they defeated the enemy... They wouldn't just let the survivors go. They would take them as captives and bring them back to their city and parade them through the victor's city as an embarrassment of them, to shame them for having even thought of going against them and just showing their glory instead of 
uh, over their enemies. And so this is the kind of shame that David is calling on for his enemies. He wants them to be humiliated. He wants their name to be disgraced because God has defeated them. And then he also asks God that they would be confounded. And so, uh, you know, this would be a common thing of uh, you're being pursued and you want people to not be able to find you. (laughs) You know, they're chasing you. Throw them off my trail, God. Let them be confused. Let them not be able to figure out where I'm hiding from them. So he prays that they're confounded and they're seeking his life. This isn't a menial thing. They want to kill him. And he says, let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. And so it's the similar ideas of turn them away, don't let them uh, be able to come and find me, and then also confuse them. And we find out something else about their intentions. They want to hurt David. They're after the worst for him. They want him to be put down and killed. And then he prays uh, one more thing about them in verse 3. He says, let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. And so, again, he's, he's praying in a military context, let them be turned away. This repetition of ideas is really clear that he's in trouble and he needs help fast because they're about to overtake him. And notice their battle cry in verse 3. They say, aha, aha. You know, that kind of sounds like they're laughing. And in a sense, I think they are. I think it's a sick joy that the enemies of David and Israel and God are having because they see that they got him. This is it. This is the time we're going to get David. This is the time we're going to catch him and kill him. And it's the, the joy of an enemy who's, who's finally got the advantage and they're about to take him and, and have joy in that, that they've defeated their enemy. And so they cry out, aha, aha. And you can imagine the fear that that would invoke in a soldier's heart, in David as the leader of the army. That would be a scary thing to be uh, kind of at the end of it, where we've we've thrown everything we have at them. It didn't work. We're in retreat. They're chasing us. They're going to find us, and they're going to take us out. And you can hear them. Imagine that he's like hiding in a cave or behind a rock or something, and you hear him outside going, we got him! This is it! There's nowhere for him to go. We're going to find him. There's no escape. And so this is the situation we find David when he cries out to God and says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. I am really good at having check engine lights on in my vehicles. Uh, It's not the worst battle that, that could be fought. Um, How many of you have a check engine light on right now in your vehicle and are unashamed to say it? (laughs) Amen. I thought about having everyone who had one on stand up and then like, all right, who's had it on for more than a month, more than two months, sit down, you know, and like going through and we won't do that. My check engine light has been on for eight years (laughs) in my Corolla, which is impressive. Uh, I remember when it first came on eight years ago. I took, it, I took it into the shop, and the mechanic, you know, he checked the code. This was before I, I knew anything about cars. And, and there was something wrong with the exhaust system, I don't know. And he's like, don't worry about it. Just put a little piece of electrical tape over the light and forget that it's there. <laughs> I was like, I can do that. I, I got electrical tape. Like, this is the cheapest fix I've ever had. So that's not the best idea. Uh, I've had it where I've taken a car into a place, and they're like, we're not quite sure what's causing the problem, 
but we think if we fix this, there's a good chance that it'll work. So I don't know if any of you have had this before. So we fixed that thing. That was $900. And then they're like, oh, that didn't fix it. So we're going to fix the second thing and see if that fixes it. And that was going to be like over $1,000. I'm like, nope, we're done. Like, we're not running down the rabbit hole this far. And so that's true suffering, you know, when, you're, when your car check engine light comes on and you're trying to get it to go off. It actually went off uh, on Friday for the first time in eight years on its own. I was, I was like, it healed itself. It's a self-healing car. I think the, the check engine light bulb just burned out. That's probably what it was. So if you let it go long enough, eventually you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's probably really good for the car, too. But it's similar uh, to, to the car situation. You know, you take the car in, and they're like, we know there's a problem. We're not sure what it is. And they just start throwing stuff at it, trying to fix things, and you're throwing money at them. And it's like, what is happening? This is awful. I think in life, we, we fight a lot of battles, and we know there's a problem. Something's not right, and we're not sure how to fix it, and we're not sure which things, which things to work on. And so there are plenty of battles that we don't mind fighting, plenty of things that we don't mind working on, but are these the battles that the Lord has for us? Are these the things that, that matter to our spiritual life, to the spiritual life of our brothers and sisters in the church? Um, what are the battles that, that God has called us on to fight? Who are our enemies? How do we win these battles? Um, and what are the battles that matter? And so the scriptures point out, uh, for the New Testament believer, uh, a couple battles or enemies that we are to fight against as believers. And I think these things should be our primary focus. It's easy to to fight about anything. You know, we're just like kids where that's mine. You know, we can fight about anything that, that we like or that we think should be a certain way. But what are the things that God has called us to battle? What is the war and how do we fight? And so Ephesians 6 lays out that we are in a battle against the spiritual realm. Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against uh, the spiritual realm that is at work in the world. And we have armor for that battle. We have God's own armor to battle Satan with. And so thinking back to when Christ died on the cross, Satan thought he won. Satan was saying, aha, aha, I got him. I finally beat God. And then what happens? Jesus rises from the dead and says, I got you. (laughs) And I have defeated you. And so even though Satan is still working in the world today, the, his judgment is called for. The, the battle is over, and we, in our lives today, can have victory over the temptations, the fiery darts that he throws at us through the armor of God. So we don't have time to look through all of those things today, but I would encourage you that through our relationship with Jesus, through the things that God has given us for our life, like his word and the body of Christ, we have everything we need to win, because Jesus has already won. He's already defeated Satan in his death and resurrection. And so any time that we give in to a temptation that Satan throws at us, we're surrendering territory that Jesus has already won for us. And we we just need to stay in there and trust in the Lord and continue to stand firm, like it says in Ephesians 6, and battle against uh, Satan and the evil forces that are, are seeking to lead us astray. 
another battle that God calls us to fight is an internal one. We're told that within us we still have the old man's flesh that wars against the Holy Spirit who now indwells us. And so this battle is described in Galatians 5, and we'll study that this week in our growth groups, how we have uh, been given God's Spirit, we still have the old man's flesh within us that's tempting us, and we're called on to put to death the flesh and to live in the Spirit. And so again, this is a battle that, that God has won for us. He, he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. He redeems us and He gives us His Spirit and lets us have the ability through the Spirit's indwelling power within us to put the flesh to death and to follow Christ by faith in Him. And that's a victory that's been won for us. And we're just called to uh, be filled with the Spirit and walk by faith in God's promises through life. And so James 4 describes this as well. It talks about where do wars and fights come from among you? You know, we, we are people that battle with each other. Where do these come from? It comes from the desires that war within you. And so we have the, the old man and the new man fighting, and we are able now through Christ to put to death the old man and to walk by faith in God's promises and defeat the flesh. We have victory through Jesus. Uh, the last battle that uh, Scripture describes, uh, we'll look at this during communion, but in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how death is an enemy. And remember, after describing the gospel and the resurrection, Paul looks at them and he says, this is where the saying comes from, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death, where is your victory? Because Jesus defeated it. There's, there's no sting of death anymore because we have the promise of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear death anymore. If we're fearing death, we're surrendering territory that Jesus has already won for us. We can walk through life and end our lives with boldness and faith in God because of what Jesus has done. He has won the victory over death, so we need not fear death. We can look at it in the eye and say, Jesus has won. There is no sting because I am in Christ and I will rise again like he did. And so I encourage you, as you think through these three battlefields and the war that we're in, that you don't give up ground that Jesus has already won. And so as you think about in your life when you're, when you're battling and you're facing these things, uh, requests for the Lord to fight for your enemies. What a blessing. You know, David, he's about to die here, and he's fearful, and he's calling on the Lord to help him. In our battles, Jesus has already won. He's already fought the battle for us, and we just need to look to him in faith and believe that he's done that. And then step forward in faith as we look at temptation and say, uh, God says that there's a way of escape for me in this. I don't know how it is, but I'm going to call a brother or sister in Christ, and they're going to walk me through this and help me see the light of Christ and, and face this temptation, and God has promised that I can escape. I don't, I don't have to give in and uh, lose this battle against my flesh and this temptation because God promised that I could escape. And so I encourage you, like Ephesians 6 says, to stand firm and to take your stand and to stand for uh, the Lord against our enemies.
And so David, he prays against his enemies um, in the first three verses, and now he turns to a second prayer, and now he's going to pray for those who seek God. And he just prays two things for him, and we'll see that in our battle, when we're losing and we need the help of the Lord, we need to remember our battle cry. And so as we look at these verses, we see David pray for two things. He says, he, he's inclusive here, he says, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And so, again, if you think about this in terms of uh, a military endeavor, uh, he's talking about his troops, those who are uh, God's chosen people and who are fighting the enemies of God um, in this war that they're in. And so he prays that all those who, who seek the Lord would rejoice and be glad in him. And so, you know, you think about soldiers in a war, and oftentimes there's not a lot of joy there. It's really sad. You know, your, your fellow soldiers are uh, not all making it. These people that have become your family, um, there's not a lot of glad things to think through. Maybe if you win a battle, that, you know, that's exciting for a while, but then you lose a battle, and it's hard. And so thinking about your life as a soldier of God we have to choose to rejoice and be glad in God. And I would say again that it's almost easier for us because we already have the victory of the war in Christ, and so we can choose uh, to find our joy and gladness in God even uh, when we're in the worst of circumstances. And then just like in the previous section with the enemies, David talks about the battle cry. So the battle cry of the wicked, of those against God, is, Aha! Aha! I got him. This is it. I'm taking him out. And the battle cry of those, all those who love your salvation is, Let God be magnified. And that's, such a, that's a powerful statement to think through, because you think about a soldier on the battlefield and they're in it to seek glory for themselves, seek glory, seek glory for their country, and they, they want to uh, accomplish the victory so that they can be honored and praised for what they've done. You know, it's the, the little boy who's imagining great acts of valor in war and sacrifice. But the, the battle cry of the believer is to call for the glory of God, that in this God would be praised, that God would be magnified. And it's a reminder to us that we often forget, first of all, that we're in a battle um, as a believer against those three things we already talked about, and that we forget what our battle cry is. And so uh, one way to think about it is in a, in a few days, many Americans will set off fireworks to celebrate the birth of our country. I can't remember how many years it's been. Uh, <laughs> I could do the math, but it'll take too long. But we get really excited about that, and we set off fireworks, right? And it's kind of to remember war and to remember the celebration of winning war. And imagine with me that we're all setting off fireworks, and we're having a great time, and it's, it's great, and we're celebrating a victory in battle. And then this is just our imagination. Our country is invaded by enemies, and they got tanks, artillery, helicopters, machine guns, all this stuff, and we turn and we start shooting our fireworks at them. <laughs> right? How's that going to work? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be not so good for us. 
And I think this is how a lot of us live our lives, is we live our lives like a celebration instead of a war. We forget that we're, uh, we're not civilians, we're soldiers. We forget that we're not kings, we're servants of God. We play on the playground instead of training for battle for the week to come. And so we have to remember, first of all, that we're in a battle, and then we have to remember our battle cry. And so we are in a war, and when we remember this, it changes the battle cry of our lives. So instead of being worried about, uh, you know, what are we going to do this week, while we're sitting in church, we're thinking, how is God preparing me to fight the war this week? And so there's lots of ways that this perspective can change how we think, how we talk, how we live our lives, um, how we uh, care for one another in the church, um, how we serve one another. All these things can be kind of adjusted as we think about, you know, Satan has fiery darts. I don't want to shoot fireworks at him. You know, my flesh is strong. You know, I don't want to be caught, you know, wearing my spiritual swimsuit and sunglasses when, when the flesh betrays me from inside. You know, th- this kind of idea of this is how we live our lives. We, we, we look for things that will please us, that we'll enjoy for the purpose of uh, our own pleasure instead of thinking, oh yeah, I'm in a war. Jesus has won, but I still have to battle by faith in him. And he's given me his word, and he's given me his spirit within us, and he's given me his body to help me, and so I can help others. How can I be training for the war now? And you see how that can kind of change the way, we, the way we look at our week, the way we prepare for going to church Saturday night. You know, I don't want to stay up till two in the morning playing video games or watching a movie because uh, I'm going to sleep through the service. Right? If we were going to battle tomorrow, if we knew every one of us has been drafted and we're all going to war tomorrow, uh, we would train tonight. Right? We'd be like, oh man, I need to get my armor ready. I need to get my sword sharpened. I need to train with my fellow soldiers. And we've got to be ready to go because this is it. And this is uh, a matter of life and death. And if I don't prepare, you know, we're, we're done. And so we have to remember that we're in a, in a war, and we need to be equipping ourselves and helping others along the way. So where, where is the battlefield? I think the battlefield uh, can be in church on a Sunday morning for us adults to stay awake. You know, how many, how many soldiers are great soldiers who sleep through training? You know, not many. Uh, it can be for us adults who interact with children. How are we shaping children's thoughts about the Lord? You know, if, if my child is misbehaving in the pew next to me and I just scold them the whole time we're at church and tell them to be quiet and never help them understand anything that's going on, how are they being prepared for battle? Uh, how much better to, to say, you know, to smile at them. That's really helpful for kids, you know, when we smile at them. And they remember that dad's not angry all the time. <laughs> and to encourage them, hey, you need to listen to this. You need this information. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to walk with him and trust him and to encourage our young people uh, to prepare for the battle now. The battlefield uh, could be on a Thursday afternoon for the children in our church. 
your parent is warning you. They're saying, hey, this friend that you're getting close to, they're influencing you away from the Lord. They're influencing you towards, uh, you know, sinful things. You know, maybe, maybe you should stop being around them so much. Maybe you should seek to influence them to follow Christ more. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember as a child, the, the rebellion in our heart is strong, you know. The rebellion is strong with this one. Like, you know, kids want their own way, and they want to have fun, and they want to do their own thing. But children, I'm, I'm telling you that no one loves you more than your mom or dad. And your friend may tell you that they have your best interest in mind, but they don't like your mom or dad does. And so you're, trust your mom and dad. Listen to them and let them help you um, as you walk through life and as you battle as well. Uh, the battlefield is in our church each time we gather or each time we have a business meeting and vote on something. Uh, we battle against our own selfishness, our own things that we want done. And we're thinking of how we can please ourselves instead of helping one another, instead of doing good to our neighbor and encouraging them and seeking to encourage them. We come to church and we wonder why no one asks us how we're doing, uh, why no one served me, why no one encouraged me. But when we remember we're in a battlefield, we, we change that thought and we say, how can I go and encourage my fellow soldiers today in their battle um, against the enemy? The battlefield is in our close relationships, maybe a close friendship that you have, maybe your marriage, where we've been sinned against in some way. There's a betrayal in the war, and you're struggling to forgive that person. You're struggling to remember that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And so our unbelief is, is a battle that we have to work against. When, when someone has sinned against us, we remember, oh yeah, God has forgiven me of so much. I can forgive my friend. I can forgive my wife of what they've done to sin against me because God has forgiven me of so much. My sin is great. Their sin is small. God forgave me of great sin. I can forgive this person of small sin. The battlefield is uh, when we're lonely, when we find ourselves cut off from the army. When we're in enemy territory and uh, doubts seek, sneak in of nobody cares about me. I don't have anyone to love me. No one is uh, checking up on how I'm doing. And we have to remember that, first of all, we have unending love from God through Jesus. He will never cast out. We will always be a beloved child of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. But then also within our church family that others do love me and that instead of wondering why they're not loving me, I can actively pursue how I can love them. Instead of, you know, secluding off to, uh, you know, to struggle with doubts of, of loneliness and things like that, I can actively pursue others in the church to serve them, to love them, to fellowship with them and to help them in the battle. Because in this battle, thankfully, we're not alone. We have each other. And that's why we're here this morning. We're here to, to remember, oh yeah, we're children of God. We're soldiers of Christ. He is the commander of chief. And when he gives the word, we get together and we prepare for battle. And then we go out and we battle. And we do war. And then we come back 
and we prepare again, and then we go out and come back and out and come back. And this is the cycle of the Christian life. And it's everything that, that God intended for the believer to have to successfully battle in this life. And so I encourage you as you think through uh, where the battle is right now in your life. You know, do you remember that you're in a war? Or, you know, are you the one who's, who's struggling with, I just want relief from this. I just want a break. I just need a vacation. That, you can find that. You, you can have a, a relief from maybe some of the things that are pressuring you. But we do that at the cost of forgetting that we're in a war. We, we forget that, that the battle's still going on and, you know, we're, we're in our swim trunks and sunglasses when Satan shows up and starts shooting arrows at us. And so we have to continue to remember to fight and to join together with our fellow soldiers, to work together and follow Jesus. And we need to not do it for ourselves, but fight for the Lord. And so ask yourself, am, am I battling for the Lord and am I fighting the right battle? Remember, there's lots of things that we could fight over. What does the Lord want me to fight for this week? Where am I forgetting what Jesus has won for me and giving up, surrendering, not fighting against my flesh anymore, not pushing back against the temptation of Satan anymore? And as we go through that, we get to to yell together, let God be magnified. What a powerful thing for a church family to unite around is the glory of God. That, that in our mission of seeking to win lost souls for the Lord and to successfully battle uh, our enemies together, to together say, let God be magnified. And so that's what we did earlier as we sang uh, uh, those songs about, about God's glory. Uh, we, we sang that together. We sang our battle cry as the company of the army here in Grimes, and we sang, let God be magnified for what he's done and what he's doing. And we see that in the psalm, David, uh, he says, those who love your salvation say continually. And so we are a people that remember that God has saved us. And his rescue work in the past from our sin, our temptation, when we thought we might give in, that rescue work continues to remind us and help us to continually turn to him and cry out, let God be magnified and follow Jesus as our sergeant. And so after David's prayer against his enemies and now his prayer for those who love God's salvation, David returns again to discuss his own Uh, condition and need before the Lord. And so the last uh, thing that we can do when we seek the help of the Lord is to recognize our need for the Lord's help. So this isn't anything profound, but it's really helpful because if we're sitting here today and we're saying, I got this, I don't need help, I'm, I'm doing fine on my own, we're lying to ourselves and we don't truly understand our own condition. Because if we did, like David, we would be saying, please, Lord, come and help me quickly. And so look at how David describes his condition in verse 5. He says, but I am poor and needy. And so what, what does this mean? He, 
again, you know, he's in the circumstances of a military endeavor. He's pinned down. He's about to die. And he says he's poor and needy. And so I think he paints this picture for us that, uh, you know, this is kind of how we come into the world, right? Children come into the world poor. They don't have anything. (laughs) And needy. They need someone else to completely take care of them. And so this is kind of the condition that David has found himself again, is that he doesn't have anything, and he, he has no way to help himself, to deliver himself. And so you can think about him as a picture of a child here uh, with nothing. David has come to the point where he can do, do nothing. He's, he's poor and needy. And so he cries out again, Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And so all through this, we see the the urgency that David calls to God with. Uh, He's asked God to make haste several times. At the end here, he says, do not delay. And again, it just gives me a picture of a child who needs help with something, and they're like, Dad, come help me. Dad, come help me. Dad, come help me. You know, and there's just like, there's no sense of patience or that there's time in the day to accomplish anything. It's like, this is on my mind now. Let's do it. I need your help. Let's get it done. And so just think of David as a completely uh, helpless person who's calling on God not to linger and to come and help him because he is facing guaranteed death and defeat, and he's calling on God to deliver him. In Sun Tzu's, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, famous book, The Art of War, maybe you're familiar with the title, he writes this, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So this is a book for military strategy with armies, but it holds true for us in life. I would change it a little bit. I would say, if you know your enemy and you know your need for the Lord's help, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. But you talk to anyone who's been in the military before, and they would tell you that if you run into battle, not knowing, not having an account of your own soldiers, of their health, of their equipment and the condition of it, and you, and you don't know what the enemy's like, and you run off and face them, you're toast. There's just no chance. I mean, maybe, maybe they're weaker, and you just overwhelm them, but you don't know. And it's a foolish thing to head off into battle not having taken account of what you have as an army. And so as we go into this week, into our own war, into the battlefield, we need to take account of our need, and especially our need of the Savior. And so if, if any of us are sitting here, and I, I struggle with this too, this is all of us. Every day we're tempted to turn our focus away from what God has called us to and to pursue our own gain. But God has called us to die to ourselves and live to him and to live this life in service to him. And so the temptation is to think of yourself and to say, I'm doing all right. I feel pretty good. I, I think I'm okay. I don't feel like I'm losing any battles. Um, and so I just encourage you to look closer at your life and to think about what has God asked me to do that I've just pushed aside and it doesn't bother my conscience anymore and I can just do whatever I want because I've 
made it work for me so that I can, I can pursue uh, whatever I want. And so think through that. I know for me, it's easy to convince myself of doing good things that, that accomplish helpful stuff for others and myself, but are those the things that, that God wants me to be battling for um, in my life even now? And so remember your own need for the Lord, and, and it's just like each of us. We, we all have a desperate need for the Lord, and, and I think we realize this when we trust in Christ for salvation. We come to a point in our lives where we say, I am sinful, and I can't save myself. And God says that he can through Jesus, and we trust in Christ, and we believe in him. And at that moment, we understand our need for God's salvation. But we need to continue to see that need. Continue to understand that every day Jesus has won the victory, but I have to continually look to him in faith and trust him in the battle today. And if you have not trusted in Christ, then in the war, you are an enemy of God. And God doesn't lose. He will come back and he will judge all of his enemies. And every enemy of his will be put down. And every enemy of his will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you that even if you're not a believer, you're in the war. And right now you're fighting on the kingdom of darkness. Your eyes are blinded. You've been deceived by the king of darkness, Satan. But no one is neutral in the war. And so I encourage you that if you've never trusted in Christ, he has the victory. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and rose again so that you could be forgiven of your sins, then you have victory in him. He, he won the victory when he rose from the dead. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, you can believe in him and he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll transfer you from the kingdom of darkness from Satan's kingdom, and put you in the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. He'll he'll promise that even though you'll face the last enemy, death, that you won't be overcome by that, that through the victory of his son, you'll be raised from the dead. And so all of these promises are true for anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, you can have the victory in Jesus today. You can't do it on your own. You can't beat death. You can't beat your sin. You can't beat Satan. But Jesus did for you. And so turn to him and trust in him and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Otherwise, you will remain an enemy of God and you will receive his judgment in hell forever where all of his enemies go. He created it for his greatest enemy, Satan. But all those who continue to follow Satan will join him there. So trust in the forgiveness and blessed hope of Jesus Christ, who forgives us of our sins and gives us eternal hope. And so I think as we end here, we're going to try a little call and response. So you're going to say, let God be magnified. And I'm going to say, let all those who love the salvation of the Lord continually say, and then you'll say, let God be magnified. Okay, you ready? Let all those who love the salvation of the Lord continually say, let God be magnified. Amen.
And I pray that that is our battle cry this week and that we seek the glory of God in our lives, in the battles that God has called us to, and that we, we fight for him by faith in Jesus' victory every day. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we praise you for the victory that is won in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, his willingness to sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins and that you rose him victoriously from the dead. We pray this week that you'd help us to live in that victory and to battle for your glory and that you would be magnified in our lives and in our church and as we go into the world to Uh, battle and share the good news about Jesus that uh, you would make your name great. And we've done all this for the praise of your glory and ask that you continue to work in our hearts this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.